You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today on the Online Enquirer podcast, Online Enquirer basketball analyst Michael Tulip joins me. and We go deep on the Illinois win over Texas, 85-78 in Madison Square Garden. Get Tulip's thoughts on everything that transpired to, to get a marquee victory in a neutral site against the number two team in the country. So Mike breaks down what he saw from Matthew Meyer. What he's seen out of this team through nine games uh, with two top ten quality victories and then two losses of course against ranked opponents as well so we break all of that down he he talks about the impact of Jaden Epps and Sear Harris two freshmen who aren't really playing like freshmen right now and, and what he thinks about the Penn State game coming up on Saturday morning at State Farm Center but before we get to Mike I wanted to just do some updates on Illinois football it's a crazy time in college football right now you obviously have the coaching carousel going on in Purdue now with an open job, you know, just to weigh in quickly uh, on the Big Ten jobs. Nebraska with Matt Rule, big time hire. Eight years, $72 million. No matter what happened in the NFL, that guy's proven he can rebuild, right? Uh, what he did at Baylor is unbelievable, right? Um, that was a program really, really down in the dumps after the Art Bryles scandal. He's proven he can build programs and run good offenses and run exciting things. Uh, but also, you know, Waco, Texas might be a little bit easier to, to recruit to than Nebraska, but it's not Austin, Texas, right? Uh, and it wasn't a program that maybe had as much going for it as Nebraska even uh, does right now with its great fan base. Baylor's crazy about football down there too, but um, I, I think Matt Rule, it's a lot of money. But as long as they're giving him patience, which they are with an eight-year deal, uh, I think he can get it done there. So that's a big-time hire. Wisconsin didn't keep it in the family. Chris McIntosh going big and get Luke Fickle. Obviously a big-time big time hire as well. Big Ten's flexing its muscle. They're really flexing its muscle right now with all the money they have, all the potential that is there, and being a top two. If you're talking about the power two moving forward, they're flexing their muscle. And that's why I think Purdue is in a good spot. Listen, losing Jeff Brom is not ideal, but you knew at some point it was going to happen. Because one, he's probably maxed out Purdue. To take Purdue from a 3-30 and program in the four years under Daryl Hazel and the interim uh, that he had under him, to all of a sudden going 26-25 and in the Big Ten over six seasons, making four bowl games in six years, four and five non-COVID years, right? And to win the Big Ten West Championship, pretty amazing job. By, by Jeff Brom. Kind of did what, what Joe Tiller had done. But Jeff Brom's from Louisville. He was a Louisville star. Uh, he was quarterback there. Uh, his family is synonymous with Louisville football. 
And you knew at some point he would take that job. He didn't take it after two years at Purdue, I think because Rondale Moore, David Bell, George Karloftis, uh, all the guys he recruited there, he wanted to see that through. I think he felt he needed to see that through, and he did. And he led them to many high draft picks, uh, very successful tenure for Jeff Brom. But I think Purdue's in a far better spot now than they were a couple of years ago before Jeff Brom was there. Or they had to do this right after Jeff Brom had led them to back-to-back bowls. I think it would have been a little trickier. But now, given what Brom built there, the foundation, given the recruiting territory they have, listen, I know they're not Notre Dame in their state. Uh, I know Ohio State's right there. I know Michigan is right there. Everyone's recruiting Indianapolis and Indiana. But Indiana's got good talent. Ohio's right next door. Michigan's just upstate. Uh, And then Illinois is not too far away, right? And Kentucky, and you can get to the south really easily. They're in a really good recruiting territory. Of course, it's a very competitive one. But you can get talent there. And, And Jeff Brom certainly showed that. The other thing is the Big Ten. We're seeing it with every one of these programs can throw around massive amounts of dollars, massive amount of resources. And if you're at Purdue 10 years ago, you're saying, ah, these these facilities, kind of like Illinois, not very good. Uh, this, This program can't compete. They have put in a lot of money into their facilities, both their practice facility, which is new. Drew Brees has his name on it. Uh, donate a lot of money for that, and then you know their their stadium is is much better than it used to be. Uh, they've really upgraded that area, so they've poured resources into there, and, and they got big time money to spend. So I would not be surprised if they could pull a Power Five head coach. And I've seen names thrown around like Dino Babers, Dave Clawson. They got the power to do that. I mean, Purdue just being in the Big Ten and doing what Jeff Brom said, it's a top 40 job in the country. You could say top 30, I don't know if it's there, but because there's some ACC jobs, some Big 12 jobs, Pac-12 jobs, they're still good, but most of those jobs in those conferences aren't as good as Purdue because of the resources and the money they can throw around and the fact that you can find a way to have a solid to good middle-of-the-road Big Ten program. I don't think it's a bottom three, four Big Ten job anymore. Uh, I think you have the potential to be a solid Big Ten program there and make a lot of money and make your staff a lot of money. So, and plus access. I mean, if you're a top 15 team, top 12 team in the Big Ten, you're going to be in the playoff moving forward, right? It's just the the way it's going to be probably moving forward. So I I think my first call would be to Matt Campbell. Listen, I know his star might be fading in in some eyes because of a four and eight season. I think he's tapped out Iowa State. And maybe he waited a little bit too long to make the move. And I think Luke Fickle is showing, yeah, I might have passed on Michigan State. I can't pass on this one. I, I don't know if that big job, if Ohio State's going to come open or if this is going to happen. Or if Ohio State comes open and I'm the coach at Wisconsin, I'm still going to have a good chance at the job. I think that was Luke Fickle's calculus there. And I think he knew he tapped out Cincinnati. And I think he would have left for some of those jobs. I think he would have left for Notre Dame last year if Cincinnati wasn't in the college football playoff. So a lot of this comes down to timing. And if I'm Matt Campbell, I'd be interested. And and if I'm Purdue, I'd certainly be interested. I didn't think he'd be possible uh, a year ago. But given the landscape of where college athletics is going, I give him a call. The other guy, Sean Lewis, I thought would have made a lot of sense at Kent State. Now he's the offensive coordinator at Colorado. Uh, You can buy out that contract or whatever he's got. So I I think they're going to get a really good candidate because I think most Big Ten teams – are going to get really good candidates moving forward. So it just continues to get stronger, guys. And Illinois, certainly 
time this up well to get Bioma to get a foundation in before all these other programs are building. But man, the unrest in the Big Ten West. I wrote about this in the Digest a couple of years, uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, you now have had three head coaching changes over this calendar year in the Big Ten and usually stable programs, right? Wisconsin changes coaches. Nebraska, obviously, has not been stable when it's gotten to the Big Ten, but that's a, a program with a high ceiling, changes coaches. Purdue just won a Big Ten championship, changes coaches. And then you see some other spots showing some instability. Iowa almost won the Big Ten West title, but I think we all know Kirk Ferentz, not that he's on the hot seat, but he's under pressure, at least, to, to change his offense. And it seems like that's happening, but we haven't heard anything about Brian Ferentz. Um, so there's there's a little question there, at least at Iowa, even though it's a very good program still. I'm not doubting Kirk Ferentz, um, you know, moving forward because he every time you doubt him, he does well. We kind of had that same thing about Pat Fitzgerald. Every time you doubt Northwestern, though, they bounce back. That hasn't been true the last couple of years. Um, sure, they won the COVID year Big Ten West Championship, but three of the last four years they've won one game. And he did what he usually doesn't do. He doesn't fire a lot of coaches. Uh, and he fired Jim O'Neill and another defensive assistant, Jim O'Neill being his defense coordinator, uh, and is making changes there. So a little instability in the West, however long the West will be. But the most uh, stable programs right now of that seven-team division certainly looks like Minnesota, kudos to P.J. Fleck, and Illinois. Going 9-9 nine nine the last two years under Brett Bielema. But you got to keep it up because everyone else uh, is building this thing up. And I think it's good for Illinois. Josh Whitman even said, hey, I like the competition. Uh, I think it makes us better. And I think with Josh Whitman as your athletic director, you feel better about that than some of the other coaches uh, who weren't as proactive, weren't as aggressive in everything that they do. All right, let's talk about the transfer portal, though. We got college football free agency right now. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but when you combine the ability to leave a program and to be eligible right away, um, and you combine that with NIL, you now have the ability to put yourself out there and to the open market. And these kids can make a lot of money doing that. And I think that's the backdrop of what every conversation we have, whether it's guys making the leap to the NFL or guys deciding whether to stay at a program. Obviously, a lot of it comes down to playing time. A lot of it comes down to opportunity. But I thought Dave Clawson was awesome, the Wake Forest coach, when he said with Sam Howell, hey, if this guy's got a chance to make ridiculous money, more than he'd make as an NFL potential training camp guy, why not come back, enter your name in the portal, see what the market gives you? That's that's here. That's here. And I think that's got to be part of the conversation when we talk about, you know, I asked Brett Bielma if they're trying for a waiver for Tommy DeVito, and they are. And he, he didn't get into specifics, but... Um, he, they, he basically said, yeah, we are, because he basically said we're going to try and help our team in any way. But if you're Tommy DeVito, I don't know if he'd want a, a seventh year of college, but a seventh year of college for a quarterback who's one of the best in the Big Ten, come back to Illinois and you can make maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's just me speculating. But that's what he's worth. Like, all of a sudden, that becomes interesting. You've seen some quarterbacks who could be NFL draft picks decide to come back because they can make really good money in college. It's the same conversation we were having about with Kofi Coburn last year. That That is happening in college football, and it's going to be very interesting. I know Illinois uh, is set to really try and increase their NIL efforts because the Illini Guardians are doing a good job, mostly with smaller uh, dollar figures here. Uh, but, uh, you know, Illinois basketball has done unbelievably well in the NIL world. And it's part of the reason you're getting Matthew Meyer, Sky Clark, 
you know, Terrence Shannon, you're able to get those guys. And Illinois basketball players are making good money off NIL. Football's got to take that next step, right? If you want to retain players, if you want to draw players, I know people talking about Devin Leary. Devin Leary is going to make a lot of NIL money <laughs> no matter where he goes. That's part of it now. So we always have to have that in the back of your minds when you're thinking about any of this, whether it's does Chase Brown come back for another year to, to make a bunch of NIL money? What about Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph? Does that, and if you're Illinois and you're limited in your NIL funds at some point, do you have to make decisions about who, who to keep, who can you spend the money? Like all those things. It's almost like Illinois, there's not a salary cap, but we got to start thinking about how you allocate NIL dollars, what you prioritize in the transfer portal. It, it's part of the conversation now, and it's not part of the conversation that coaches openly talk about too much, but it is part of the conversations we have to consider. Of course, quarterback is the main thing here, and I, I don't know this for sure, but, but from everything I've gathered, Tommy DeVito returning on a seventh-year waiver is a possibility. Now, how all those things happen, uh, he had injuries, he played three games in uh, 2021, he played, before he entered the transfer portal, he only played four in 2020, which is the same thing that Palczewski and Marques got an extra year for. Uh, so all those things, listen, it, things are kept pretty quiet around all this transfer portal stuff for the most part until these guys lock in visits. Um, and, and Illinois has got some things to balance, and they got a lot of irons in the fire, but Tommy DeVito does seem like the top preference for Illinois to come back for another year because, one, they know him. Two, he was really good. Three, he knows the system, and he'd be a 25-year-old quarterback in the Big Ten. Of course, Devin Leary is the big name out there, and I, sure, I think Illinois would love to have him. I think Illinois would be in the mix, um, but I do think getting DeVito for another year would, would be maybe more likely at this point. Also, Illinois has got to have other quarterback transfer options. But, yeah, the timing of all of this is interesting because you don't know when the NCAA would approve waivers. We don't know if they have yet, and Illinois knows that. Um, we, we don't know all of those things, and, that, and that's where Brett Bielema and his staff have to have a clear idea. I, I know the huge dilemma comes up of what if Leary wants to commit and you don't know about Tommy DeVito. I, I don't know those answers, but I, I'm sure Brett Bielema has gone through those with his staff. And if, hey, do we wait out this DeVito thing, who do we have? What are our options? at quarterback they've they've considered all those things i talked to pat embleton on the record about you know they go through these scenarios about how they want to handle these things and brett bielma is, is very very organized so i'm as interested as you guys about who they're going to get at quarterback but i think they're going to have good options so i, I obviously i think the transfer or tommy devito is going to be your starter next year at quarterback we'll see how it all plays out Illinois also hosting an offensive lineman, Avery Jones from ECU. Uh, played center the last couple of years. Really talented guy. Former four-star prospect. Uh, originally signed with North Carolina out of college. He's from North Carolina. Uh, then he transferred to ECU, which is an AAC, AAC program. Decent group of five conference there. Um, and he had some success. Uh, played guard his first year as a starter. Played pretty well. Second year, they moved him to center. Had some ups and downs. Uh, but last year, he was pretty good. Uh, I think he's still got more potential that he hasn't reached yet. And he considered, you know, just going to the transfer portal and maybe just entering the NFL draft. Certainly he's going to look to play elsewhere to up his uh, potential because I don't think he's a draft pick at this point. 
But he's about 6'4", 290 pounds, great athlete for his size, was a really good pass blocker this last year. I think he can improve himself technique-wise. Um, and if you're Illinois, that's a heck of a sell. You just had five All-Big Ten offensive linemen, including one guy who probably didn't have the most confidence, and I think Alex Bilstrom would tell you that, You know, moving that position. And Illinois didn't know exactly what they were going to get out of Alex Bilstrom his last year. But, boy, he filled in admirably. And I, I think you got the best version of Alex Pilstrom the the back half of the year uh, for the last eight games really I thought Alex Pilstrom played really good for you and I think you got as much as you could have asked for uh, out of Alex Pilstrom and obviously they've developed guys incredibly well the last couple of years so I think they got a strong sell to Avery Jones at ECU and I think he's a plug and play center you know Josh Kreutz will compete for that job but uh, he's a little undersized he does everything right from everything I'm told but when you're six one. 290 pounds it's, it's a little bit more difficult we've seen that in the past with Illinois when you got some undersized centers or or guards especially uh you can struggle but Avery Jones being upgraded at center plug and play you got Zy Chrysler Isaiah Adams we'll see what happens with, with Julian Pearl but you're still looking for a, a, a Juco offensive lineman as well Keyshawn Blackstock could be in the mix there Desmond Schuster you know a guy like Josh Geske I've heard good things about Zach Barlev we'll see if Harden Whitenack can get in that mix but uh, I think Avery Jones would, would be a seamless fit for Illinois. South Carolina and Missouri also in the mix. Uh, two SEC programs there. Illinois already added, added a defensive back. Nicario Harper, interesting guy out of Louisville, but he's he's also played two other places. Southern Miss signed with out of high school, uh, was a two-star recruit then, and he played some special teams. They wanted to redshirt him his sophomore year, decided, hey, no, I want to go play. Transfers to an SEC, FSC program and Jacksonville State becomes an All-American his sophomore year, an FCS All-American, hard hitter. Um, and I was told he could play a Quan Martin-like role, but when I, when I turned on his film from Jacksonville State, because he didn't hardly play at Louisville, only played four games, when I turned on his film from Jacksonville State, he looks like an in-the-box safety. He, he looks like he'd play that Sidney Brown role. And they need to fill that Sidney Brown role. And Nicario Harper hits hard, good straight line speed coverage I think we got to see some things I don't think you want him on the back end at free safety or anything like that nickel I'm not quite sure but I see I see a guy who's as the staff likes to say stick his face in the fan he's he's got he plays hard man and, and he plays physical he's plays like an Aaron Henry defensive back and I think that's what they really like about him and he's very hungry if you read my story of his interview Things did not go the way he was told or he thought they would go at Louisville. So he didn't – Louisville, he knew Scott Satterfield and that staff, and he committed to Appalachian State out of high school uh, and then changed it. But he knew that staff, and that's all. He, he was knew that staff, said he was going to get at NIL money. This time he went through a more thorough process and uh, ends up at Illinois, and I think it's a, it's a good fit. I think he'll be in the mix to start games. At least gives him a really good special team player, I think, at, at the worst. But I think he's going to be able to compete for that job. And, and the good news is you got Matt Bailey, who's pretty flexible at safety. I think he can play free safety or strong safety. you got Keontae Curry uh, in the mix. Some of those freshmen uh, outside, you know, TJ Griffin, does he play a role? But you need experience back there, man. Uh, and you don't have a lot of experience. I think they could go get another corner as well. So, Nicario Harper, we'll see how he looks in camp. I think he's got the potential to start and fill that in-the-box safety role. I think that's a better role for him than what he was playing at Louisville, kind of this hybrid position, more of a nickel kind of position. 
So I, I think he could thrive there. Uh, other needs, they are really offering tight ends. Some some lower-level tight ends. I think, they, I think they'd love to add more dynamic receiver next to Tip Ryman because Tip Ryman could be really good. I think he takes another big step forward next year. Great blocker. Needs to be more consistent as a pass catcher. I don't think he's the guy you want running those vertical seam routes. Um, maybe he can improve on those. But I love him in the flat. Uh, I love him kind of out in space. Uh, and he, I love him as a blocker. But if they could add somebody who's more dynamic, more proven as a pass catcher, they've offered several guys. Um, we'll see if any of those guys start to visit here. But tight end certainly seems like a big need for them. They've offered a defensive lineman, uh, a blast from the past, Joe Moore out of St. Louis. Uh, Alan True reported that today. He played at Arizona State's first couple years. Got some experience. Certainly a guy that I think uh, could play um, – I think they could bulk him up and play him a little bit in the Johnny Newton role. He's 6'3". I think he was like 260 pounds, something like that. So he'd have to bulk up a little bit. It's more of an edge rusher at Arizona State. I think they could use a cornerback. Tyler Strain played decently at the end of the year. Xavier Scott's going to get better. They develop well, but maybe more veteran presence back there would help. And I'm interested to see if they go wide receiver or running back. So uh, that's kind of the transfer update there. I know you all want to know about quarterback. I'm sure we'll find that out pretty soon. And big official visits this weekend on the high school uh, route because you got former Wisconsin commits Colin Dixon and Roderick Pierce visiting this weekend. These are two big needs in this class, and I know we focus so much on Malik Elzey, and we should because he's really talented. He's Chicago Simeon, four-star prospect, and he will sign in, in December. Uh, he's visiting Wisconsin this weekend. Of course, he knows Luke Fickle from when he was committed to Cincinnati. Uh, but then he'll announce in early January about where he signed uh, at the All-American Bowl. But until then, they they need more wide receivers. And Colin Dixon is really talented. This class, like, Jair Hill and Malik Elzey get the focus. Like, I don't think Colin Dixon at wide receiver compared to Malik Elzey or Sabor Kareem at defensive back with Jair Hill, I don't know if they're a different tier. Like, I think they're pretty similar, pretty similarly talented prospects, even if the rankings show a little bit different I think both those guys, Sabor was a huge get, I think, for Illinois. I think Colin Dixon would be a huge get. 6'2", 205. I don't know if he's got one elite trait. Kind of reminds me of Sean Miller in that way. Colin's a little bit bigger, maybe an inch taller. But Colin Dixon's fast, ran an 11-1 as a junior in high school. I'm interested to see what he does on the track as a as a senior. And I love that he's a track athlete. He's a really good basketball player. Go up in high point passes. He can be that vertical threat, the big physical threat, but he can also be a guy that you can line up in the slot and can make plays in space. Uh, so I love that versatility of him. Again, it reminds me a little bit of Sean Miller. Maybe not the the biggest burner on a team, but it's got the speed to beat you deep. Um, route running, I don't know if it's quite Sean Miller-esque, but he can go up and get you one too. Maybe reminds me a little bit of Ricky Smalling as a prospect, and, and Ricky was a really good Big Ten player. I, I just think... Colin Dixon would be a big get. The other school that really seems to be in the mix right now is Northwestern. And he went to Northwestern and saw the Illinois 41-3 blowout. And he doesn't have any other visits planned after this Illinois official visit. So I think it's closing time on Colin Dixon. Roderick Pierce is a big one. When this class started, I thought Caden Fagan, of course Malik Elzey, Jair Hill were big. But I also thought Roderick Pierce was one of the most important in-state recruits in this class because, one, he's really good. I think Rivals has him as a four-star now. We have him as a top 12 prospect in the state. And Chicago Brother Rice is a, is a place where Illinois had good relationships. You got in early on him compared to other programs, and he would fill a very important need 
They had not recruited defensive linemen all that well. I think Alex Bray and Mason Moragan are really good finds for Illinois, good evaluations. But if you can win a big-time recruitment for a defensive lineman, it'd be a feather in the cap for Terrence Jamison. Now, you're competing with Michigan. Michigan's got a pretty good sell right now. Mozzie Smith is going to be a top draft pick, probably second round, third round. Uh, Their defense is one of the best in the country. And, of course, they're going to college football playoff, back-to-back Big Ten champions. Of course, Illinois has got a really good sell on the defensive line, too. Johnny Newton, potential second or third round pick. Keith Randolph, potential draft pick if he went, uh, but an all-Big Ten player. Johnny Newton's an All-American. He had the number one scoring defense in the country. Almost beat Michigan this past year. Oh, no, Jim Harbaugh. Those NFL rumors coming up again. It's going to be an annual thing, I think. If he keeps winning probably going to be it and uh, he interviewed for the Vikings last year and, and Jim Irsay uh, be interesting the Indianapolis Colts of course Jim Harbaugh played quarterback for the Colts for a while uh, as well so I think Illinois has got a good sell and I think there's he's serious about him the, the only thing that holds me up is he had a chance to commit to Illinois once and he didn't all right when, whenever that happens always I, I, will he do it again but from everything I've heard, it's he's pretty serious about Illinois and the relationship's been there I mean Texas is pushing hard um, you've had Michigan push really hard. Both those programs offered this fall. Illinois offered June 2021, and they have made him a top priority ever since then. Even like Pat Farrell, Illinois commit, has pushed really hard for him. So I think they got a chance. I think they got a chance, but uh, Michigan's Michigan, right? So it'd be a huge win. It'd be a huge win. Illinois got a chance. They've had a second chance now for some of these guys. Colin Dixon, Roderick Pierce, Jamal Howard, who's supposed to visit next week, a three-star def- uh, defensive lineman out of Chicago Maris, and, of course, Malik Elsey. Getting second chances, how much can they make of those second chances? If they get two or three of those guys, um, I think that'd be massive. That'd be a massive end uh, to this prep recruiting class. And of course, you're hoping to add some JUCO guys as well. All right, that's a little bit of a football update. Let's get to some hoops. Illinois basketball just beat the number two team in the country. Michael Tuitt breaks it down next on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star shopify powers 10 percent of all e-commerce in the u.s and shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, rothy's and brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries plus shopify's award-winning 24 7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now's the time to save 30 percent on wedding jewelry only on bluenile.com make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands all hand finished and graded for excellence 
or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. All right, Illinois basketball picks up another top 10 win. This one in the Ken Palm at the rankings at the time as they take down number two Texas, 85-78 at Madison Square Garden. Phenomenal atmosphere and a phenomenal comeback that Illinois is actually able to close out. And Michael Tuop, we've seen Illinois kind of overcome these, these lulls that they have in games and make it a game, but they came back and won this one. How? Why were they able to do this? What's your biggest takeaway from a comeback overtime win? Yeah, I think, again, just the resolve. We've talked about it time and time again with this team. Um, they have a knack for a lot of their guys being very even keel, and I think that that helps you in these moments where you feel like a lot of those 50-50 calls aren't, aren't going your way, and backbreaker after backbreaker uh you feel like you're climbing into it and you know Brock Cunningham hits a three you feel like you're climbing into it Coleman takes the ill-advised shot that leads to the Dylan Mitchell run out for the lob and um but they kept fighting and look this is it's funny when you when you think about basketball because a lot of people that watch the game it's one of two things right you know it's oh my god these offensive lulls Right, but what you don't realize is that every college basketball team has these every game. The difference is your defense. Because think about that eight to ten point lead that Texas had. If that thing ballooned to 20, you wouldn't be talking about their offense. You just wouldn't be. And and I think I you gotta have some perspective here where you start to get in this rhythm as a viewer and you look and you're like, Oh my God, we didn't score again, but we got another stop. Oh, we didn't score again, but we got another stop. Like those stops are important. Those stops are what even keeps you in the game. Because the other thing that I'll mention too, because I I went back and I'm like, I gotta look, I gotta look at this. So Illinois had a five minute stretch, five five and a half minute stretch without scoring. Texas had from the eleven thirty three mark to the six thirty three mark two points. From the one one fifty four in regulation to two fifty one in overtime, two points. So if you're a Texas fan, you're sitting there too, and that's you know those are two these are two top ten teams in the country. But go look any any other game in college basketball; it happens all the time. The difference is your defense being able to to kind of keep them at bay and give yourself a chance to get back in it. Yeah, it almost gets overlooked, Mike, because Texas had seventy eight points in an overtime game. You held them under a point per possession. Yeah. A team that, that is capable. I know they're not a great shooting team, but a team that is capable of doing that. And you're right, during that stretch, like those two sincere Harris blocks, like they were just massive because it kept it from getting out of hand and kept you within reach. And then Melendez hits a three, Meyer hits a three, and all of a sudden you're in this thing. Um this is this defense is kind of what Brad Underwood said it would be. It's It's got the potential to be one of the best in the country right now. Yeah. Um, looking at Kempom, it is number 12 in defensive efficiency. And the biggest difference, Mike, 12 blocks in this game, too shy of a, a program record. Right now they are 12th in the country in block rate. And just to put that in perspective, the first five years of Brad Underwood, 310th. 268, 257th, 263rd, 262nd. And it's not just one guy like Coleman Hawkins. It's RJ Melendez. It's Sincere Harris. It's Dane Danger. It's it's Matthew Meyer with three. This team is long. It's athletic. 
and its recovery at the rim. Like, what does that allow for a team? Well, I think first and foremost, it's, you know, you, you look at the, the five out nature of it and the switch one through five. Um, essentially, I think you're, you're seeing a lot of teams think that they can exploit matchups that, that really aren't there. And it's trying to take Coleman Hawkins off the dribble. He's sending a few back. People try to take Matthew Meyer off the dribble. I thought Meyer's weak side help and verticality was was incredible. And um, look, I think ultimately this team, they're, the the length, the athleticism. I mean, RJ's block at the end when he, I think it was eighty one seventy six, and and he blocks a shot to prevent prevent it from being a one possession game. Um, the double jump, right? Like there, it's it, it's it's different when, especially in Dane too with his length. I think. Dane is so good in drop coverage for where he's at in his career, and he's only going to get better. And I I thought it forced Tyrese Hunter into some uncomfortable shots in in that drop, and they they get it from everybody. Like, you've seen sky blocks of shots, and I I think Jaden actually almost got a piece of Marcus Carr's at the end of regulation. So, you know, this is going to continue to be the story and they're doing it for the most part w- without fouling. And they're doing it for the most part when you have guys that can block shots on the ball. Because that wasn't the case with – it just wasn't the case with Trent. It wasn't the case with Bello and, and some of these shorter lineups. But having guys that can block shots on the ball is huge because even if they don't get it, they alter it. And then you're not taking yourselves out of position for for rebounds. So that, that's been a, a huge key too. And it's – you know, Sincere's especially, I mean – you block that shot off the backboard, you basically ignite the fast break and get it cut to five. I thought his minutes were were tremendous. It's fascinating to see, like, you know, Illinois under Kofi. What Kofi changed is their two-point defense. Uh, went from bad, right, when you were pressuring out because you had to. You're one of the worst in the country at two-point defense, and you were 47th, 20th, 20th. Without Kofi, you've kept it, right? Like, yep. you're 14th in the country in two-point defense. It's just fascinating how you can do it in so many different ways. Well, the other thing, too, is a lot of times, especially when you look at Kempom, a lot of that stuff can be super skewed depending on schedule yeah. and who you've played and per- when you start looking at percentages and where that ranks nationally. I thought that – honestly, I thought that was the case with Texas. That's why I really liked Illinois going into that game because I'm looking at them like, man, this is – they got rebounded by UTEP, right? They got out-rebounded by Northern Arizona. Creighton out-rebounded them. Uh, Gonzaga out-rebounded them. Like, Illinois should out-rebound them tonight. And if they don't let them get loose from three, because all those teams, like, you're not going to shoot 28% for the season. But a lot of times when you look at these analytics, like right now Illinois has enough quality opponents between – I know Syracuse isn't great, but they're a high major team. between You know, Syracuse, UCLA, Virginia, Maryland. Um, yeah, they got four quad one games, right? Yeah, and then Texas. So, you know, you got a pretty good body of work there. And – I think we'll get into the to the late game execution stuff, but I think you know all that. A lot of this stuff was going to be trial and error, and just figuring it out. And the fact that they've been able to do that and maintain a seven and two record is is pretty insane considering the opponents they've had. Yeah, just to go big, Mike. I mean, haven't they proved the first month of the season they can beat anyone anywhere? Like on a given night, they have a chance to beat anyone anywhere. I mean, they're still better teams, right? Like Houston. Is, is great, um, but Texas is a really good team. Are they great? Are they a Final Four? I think they have capability of doing that. I think UCLA has that. Virginia has that. Um, 
this has been pretty impressive. Like, are they further along than you thought, or is this what you thought they could be in the first month? This Illinois team, they're they're in the game. They're in the game. They can play with anybody. And, and part of that is is their floor. Part of that is their ceiling, obviously. But these teams, you're you're not always guaranteed to get there. You're not always guaranteed to hit that. You still have to like it doesn't just happen. It's you know when you get through these peaks and valleys of the season, the teams that can stay even keel like this team does, and we've seen it, are the teams that can give themselves the best chance to uh, to to win in March. And it is all about matchups. And this this Illinois team presents really tough matchups for teams that you got to play a different style. And the fact that they can play multiple styles with if you want to throw in Dane at the five, if you want to go a little bit bigger, uh, you know, you, you can do that. And look, I, I said this on post-game radio. When, when you're in the early stage of a rebuild, okay, it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. There's a lot of losses. There's, you know, it, it can be tough as a fan. And I think what you start to realize as a fan is at times it can be more frustrating when you're really good. <laughs> Like it, it can be more frustrating, and I see it. Like I see it all the time, you know, on online and this and that. But look, this is, you know, this is what this is, man. This is a really good team. This has turned into an incredible program uh, over over the past couple of years, and 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 I think you just got to continue to to understand that there's so much more that they can get better at. Yeah. There's so much more, and what you don't want is to still be having that conversation in like late March or, or, or late April or late February, early March where you're just like, yeah, but if we just, you know, could clean up the, yeah. they got it. Like their, their foundation right now, they're way ahead of where I thought they would be, but their foundation is, is pretty incredible. Cause there's just been the emergence of a lot of guys in, in different situations that, you know, maybe you didn't anticipate going into the year. Well, let's bring this up. I think we thought this guy would uh, step up at certain points of the year. But Matthew Meyer, I had a feeling, Madison Square Garden, Matthew Meyer's played in big games. Some of these other guys have not. And right from the start, Mike scores the first five points of the game. You're thinking, okay, uh, they might get a Matthew Meyer performance. And they needed every bit of those points oh, yeah. in, the, in the first half because everyone else basically w- was struggling outside of maybe Coleman Hawkins uh, in that first half. So I'm not expecting, no one should expect 21 points and seven straight made shots from Matthew Meyer. What does this game do for him? And what's sustainable for him consistently? Yeah, look, water was always going to find its level with Matt. That's just basketball. And, and he's too good of a player with, with these early season struggles and trying to get acclimated. Like this was, it was going to pop. And you could tell him getting more comfortable and him being a little bit more settled within the offense, committing himself to the defensive end. I thought we talked about it on the last podcast. Like you commit yourself to the defense and rebounding, the offense just kind of figure, figured itself out. And look, it's all—it's not always the best quality um, that you'd like, but I, I'll take a guy that has a, an immense amount of confidence in himself to take those types of shots because they're—they are—they're back breaking to the other team, and uh, you could tell you're watching that Texas bench. They, they had seen that movie before. I saw and, a few times Chris Beard was like, all right. All right nice yeah, <laughs> I mean, but look, he I talk about the belief he has in himself and uh, beyond just the ability to score, he took some guys off the dribble. He did it really in all three phases. Uh, he had a shot at the rim. He had a shot, you know, to the turnaround fadeaway uh, in the mid-range and then obviously hitting the five threes. He, he's an integral part to this team and it goes beyond just the the flurries that he can have like this. 
be having a guy like that at six nine that can basically be your versatile four man and and be someone like Matthew Meyer is kind of a rim protector, mm-hmm. like he is. I mean, he has three blocks and altered a few more, and he has great timing and great athleticism, and he's been so good on the glass. Um, and it's not always just him going in and snaring the rebound. It's staying locked in and making sure you hit your guy to make sure someone else can come in. I've just been, I've been really impressed with him and, and look, it's important the way he's handled these first few games, you have guys that can check out. uh, And when it's your older guys, when it's your leaders, that's, you can't have that because that's going to trickle down. That's going to permeate to more of the younger guys. I I truly think a lot of these younger guys, although they come in with a pedigree and, and, you know, they're, they're even keel. I think they still are following the lead of some of these older guys. And I think they're setting the example, whether that's Coleman or, or Matt or Terrence or RJ, uh, and they're doing a great job of it. So, you know, I think Matt in general, if he starts hitting his stride, it's not going to be 21 every night. It's not going to be five for five from three, but teams are guarding him like that. And that's just as important on the offensive end. Terrence Shannon had an awful first 40 minutes offensively, uh, defensively, and, and uh, he did some really good things. Uh, Jade Neps had one point in the first 35 minutes of this game. What did you see from them late game? To be able to turn that on, Mike, can't be easy uh, as a player. Yeah, look, it, it encapsulates the makeup of this team. It's, hey, Matthew Myers is going to hold the fourth down here for a second. Okay, and then we'll give we'll we'll open that up for sincere to come in and make an impact, right? And then we'll have Coleman will, will do his thing, and then hey, knockout punch. Here's Terrence and Jaden, and that it, it's hard, man. Like it's it's hard, especially for for freshmen to to come in and not starting, obviously. But I think his mentality and probably his personality. Uh, he just always seems even even watching post game interviews and he's just always even keel. He's always uh he's he's not obviously not afraid of the moment. Uh so to have a guy like that come in that you can put in, in late games and say, Hey, all right, we got something here. It's you know, some of the shots like the one at Maryland, I don't know, he makes it, he's the hero. So yeah, yeah. it's it's hard to be like, Oh yeah, you missed it. But I mean he had a pull up he had a pull up jumper, um in the in, at the end of I think it was six sixty six sixty one maybe and he had like a pull up that was kind of eh, questionable but the fact that he's willing to take those um, and, and this game should only give him confidence and Terrence he, <laughs> you can continue to just be so impressed with him uh, that was a mature game that was a really mature game from him because I, I think ultimately with him you're always going to need his defense and his rebounding. That goes for everybody, man. Like, everybody. RJ. And even more so on this team, because you're not going to score every single game. Uh, Terrence is going to get Terrence is going to get probably double digits most games, but it's going to fluctuate for a lot of these guys. So the defense and rebounding has to become, uh, has to be what's uniform. And the last point that I'll make is a lot of teams, when you're a leading scorer, when you're 19, 20 point per game guy, is scoreless at half, and well, did he have two points going into overtime? He had four because of the goaltend. He made a mid, right. he made That's a right. midi, and then he, uh, which was a confident one to start the half. It was a great yeah. sign, and then he still got out of control a little bit. Um, teams collapsing on him, obviously, but yeah, four points heading into. He had one go through the hoop. <laughs> going yeah. into no, overtime. it's it speaks to the talent 
of his team. And if you look across the Big Ten, Zach Eady goes scoreless in a half. That's probably not good for Purdue. That's it's just not. And and you could say that for a lot of teams. And I think that's that's what you realize about this Illinois team is, man, it could be Sky next game, right? You just you just never know. And I think one through eight, one through nine. And then you're going to bring Luke Goody back into this, so it's it's going to continue to get fascinating. But those two guys in particular, Terrence and Jaden, it's you know kudos to the guys early in the game, middle of the game, but those guys really came and delivered the knockout. Mike, I got to get this stat for you about RJ Melendez. But following up on Jaden Epps, who kudos to him. There was been some you know Virginia, Maryland, some late game performances that he didn't make shots. Right, he had the ball in his hands. But kudos to Brad Underwood to going back to him because it pays off right here. And I think that shows why he's doing the things he's doing of having Jaden Epson in late game over Sky Clark. I don't want to make this a conflict thing like Jaden versus Sky that, that some people are like, hey, why isn't Jaden starting? Well, Sky's doing a pretty good job to start games and Jaden's doing a pretty good job to end games. And both those guys are playing top five minutes on the team. So they're basically playing starters minutes. But um, what, do, what do you make of, of these two and how Brad Underwood is kind of playing them together at times, playing them differently at times. Um, it's great to have two top 50 freshman guards, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think it's a great marriage um, with them. I think, look, what Sky offers to start the game is he gets, guy, he gets guys involved. And it's important to have a point guard that can set the table and get guys in rhythm to start the game. I'm not saying Jaden doesn't do that, but, but Jaden's much more scoring-minded, probably much more assertive uh, on the offensive end when, when you when you look at that and and that really lends itself to late game it really does and and I think that's the balance of it we, we talk about it all the time it's not always as simple as this guy's you know producing more than this guy starting it's actually you know having balance in your rotations is is just as important when you have when you can have a Jaden Epps you can bring off your bench that may be a little more scoring minded that's good. Along like that's, with Dane, right? Like, I think Underwood loves that group. Like, you bring Sincere and Ty for defense. You bring Dane and Jaden for offense. Yeah, and look, with, with Jaden, too, I, I think Sky – Jaden's been, been tremendous, I, I, I think, defensively. Uh, he, there's some communication stuff that I think he and a few of the freshmen are going to continue to get better at. But, look, for him – you bring him in with Dane because I think it, it suits both of them better to to play and drop and have Jaden fight over and square it back up and keep his match up. Uh, Sky obviously can can hold his own maybe a little bit better in, in one through five when he switches onto these bigs and um, he's probably a better rebounder as well. So yeah. look, I think it's it's fun to kind of be able to mix and match a little bit here. And I, I think the other thing too is you know Sky even from a distance he, he's been a pro about this. Right? You could be the guy that's like, oh, man, I'm starting. I should be finishing this out. And you see him cheering just as much as everybody else. And uh, look, Jaden, and you said credit Brad Underwood. You're exactly right. I think you see the Virginia game, and I thought he broke a th- few things off. And Maryland, he takes the late shot, which, like I said, he makes it. You, you may be 1-0 in the Big Ten. But for him to go back to him, like there's there's obviously something there. And he's continuing to show it because the – the three hit in the corner, the two free throws, he steps up. I mean, I, it's funny. I think maybe maybe Meyer had the quote where he's like, there's no one else I'd rather have shooting these free throws right now. Yeah. I mean, to say that nine games into someone's freshman year is is insane. And Matt has not held back. Like, he goes, I thought we'd be good. 
I didn't think we'd be this good because the freshmen are better than I thought. Um, yeah. and I think they have been. Like, like I know we had high expectations for Sky Clark and Ty Rogers, and maybe I haven't quite hit that. But like, Sky's got poise, man. I know he's not always going to score as much as some people want. But you're mentioning it. the defense, the rebounding has been better than I thought. Um, he needs to clean up some turnovers, but that's expected. Jaden's translating uh, his scoring at the you know high school level to this level has been phenomenal. And then I'll, I'll give you a minute, sincere Harris, man. Like, I, I, I didn't know what his role would be. I thought Ty Rogers would kind of play that role more, but he's making game-changing defensive plays game after game in the biggest games of the season. Sincere Harris may not score 600 points in his Illinois career, <laughs> and it won't matter because his impact is that immense on the defensive end. It's it, This is this not the first time you mentioned it this is not the first time he's come in and just and just made his presence felt and it's funny not only just the his activity and uh his ball pressure i don't think i've ever seen a guy be able to reach and try to make a steal and somehow st- still keep the guy in front right. and I, I think he's I, he's a really good athlete i think he's an even better athlete than people think um, that block that he the block that he had off the backboard was insanity, and then the, even the block that he had um, that was head up, rotating over from the weak side. His the body control there to not get a foul, and he actually went to uh, he actually went to block it with his. I'm trying to think, either his right hand or left hand. I, I remember watching the film, and I'm like, man, if he goes with that other hand, he fouls him. Yeah. He, he almost like came across. And blocked it. I think. I think with his right hand, if he goes left, he probably hits him with his body and follows him. So, like in the moment, he just has such good instincts on that end, and you can tell whether it's Marcus Carr, Tyrese. I mean, these are really good college basketball players, and they did not look comfortable at all. And, and even when he gets switched, here's the thing, man. Like they're going to switch one through five if he's in the game, depending on depending on if you know if Dane's in there, they're not. But he makes bigs uncomfortable. He fights them in the post. He rebounds like, man. And and the other thing too is he knows who he is offensively, which is which is equally as important. Where you're like, hey, he's great defensively, but like, ah, he's just trying to do too much. Like, he knows exactly who he is. He you know, that I think it was the Terrence and one that he does that. He hits the quick rotation. Like he got the drift pass, didn't even think twice. Boom, Terrence. Terrence puts it on the ground and one in overtime. That really yep. kind of sealed the deal. All right, these are the stats I want to bring up. R.J. Melendez, last three games. First halves, Mike. Five points, two for nine shooting, three rebounds. Second halves, 30 points, nine for 11 shooting, 13 rebounds. Why is R.J. Melendez a second-half player right now? Toughness, man. Like, that is, that's that's a lot of toughness there. And I'm not, I'm not sure you could have said that early on for him as a freshman. Obviously, he wasn't getting the playing time but I think there is we always talk about the psychology of knowing that you know you, you'll probably be in the game you know if you're the guy that doesn't get on doesn't have a good first half and you know you're probably not gonna play much in the second half you probably press even more when you're in there and I think he just he just looks so comfortable and I think he's been such he, he's benefited so much from the people around him as well you know Terrence I think has taken a lot of pressure off of RJ Matt's taken a lot of pressure off of RJ and he can he can really get out on the break. We've seen that from him. You know the the catch and shoot stuff. I thought I thought 
you know, they, they drew up, they ran a great play yeah. to, to create some confusion there on the three to make it 58, 56. He's just, he, he's been kind of Johnny on the spot in these, in these late games uh, and really not even really the late games, but like the, he's been kind of a killer in like the 12 to six minute yes. mark, uh, which is, which is what you needed in, in a, you know, in a stretch where things were kind of brutal offensively. So credit him, man. And, and I think too, he's, he's really accepted the challenge defensively and, and on the glass. Cause I think that's, he knows that that's, what's going to end it like ultimately keep him on the floor. I love the setup this year for him. I, I, I just think this allows a natural progression for him. Yeah. Like we were talking about him in the spring. He might have to be one of the top two scorers on this team. And then of course they, they crushed it in the portal, but to have Meyer and Shannon here and even a guy like Jaden Knapps, like, I think it just alleviates some pressure and allows him to be that complimentary piece, but he's one of the best complimentary pieces in the Big Ten. And then I can see him, Mike, next year being a star. Like, if he had to be a star now, I think he'd be struggling with that a little bit, yeah. creating his own shot and things like that. I think this sets up for him naturally uh, to, to become a star by the time he's he's a junior. But he's he's coming up a huge in some of these moments. Well, well it's the attention, right? And Yeah there's a lot of attention on those other guys, like I mentioned. And I think it does allow you to develop. It allows you to kind of gain some confidence without feeling like the whole thing is on your shoulders. Correct. Yeah. And look, I think if he was the a top two guy on this team in terms of options, it's not saying that like he couldn't do it, but it would be much, much more difficult because odds are if he's top two, then, you know, what are your other pieces look like? Do they have to give a lot of attention to those? And now he's the one that's commanding all that. And I'm not I'm not sure that he was particularly ready for that. Right. And I, I, I think the world of him as a player, but I'm not sure from getting somewhat limited minutes freshman year to just being thrusted in that, that's hard for anybody. That's hard for anybody, especially, especially when you're doing wholesale changes and everybody leaves and it's a whole new um, kind of offensive scheme, defensive scheme. That's that's tough to do, but I think he's he's been able to. You've already seen development from just the beginning of the year. We're nine games in, and he's starting to kind of hit his stride. And you're starting to see him, Matthew Meyer, like everybody's starting to get this little uptick, and you're seeing the level of play raise on this team because, you know, I, I talked about it with Jacob Grandison and some of these guys. Like your fourth, your fourth, fifth guy, like that's where teams really make a difference mm-hmm. in in the NCAA tournament in postseason play. If you have everybody's got everybody's got like a top two, top one, top two. Everybody, most people have that. Now, how good your top one or top two are that depends. But if your four and five can play like top twos on different nights, and they don't have to be the top twos, that's that's huge, and I think that raises your floor as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Exclusively on Paramount Plus. Yo, what's up, 
It was meant to be a farewell concert, but it changed the music industry forever. We gotta do it again. And launched the careers of countless artists. We had all been underground bands, but that was changing. All while giving the mainstream the middle finger. That's entertainment. Don't miss this three-part docuseries that was 30 years in the making. Lala, the story of Lollapalooza. New docuseries now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. I think we're 25 minutes into this, Mike, and I have you in... We haven't really mentioned Coleman Hawkins. Boy, he's good defensively. <laughs> he's, good. he's yeah, it's he's nuts, man. And and honestly, they kept trying to switch. I, they kept trying to to exploit that particular matchup, and he gets the steal at the end of overtime, and uh, you know, blocked three shots. I think he altered so many more. I mean, Bishop and, and Mitchell were just not comfortable whatsoever around the rim. Just smoking layups that they probably wouldn't usually miss, and it, it, his impact is. Can we bring up the pass? The, the pass. The pass. The, the pass. Like it is. The, I, that's a that. I don't want to. I'm not speaking in hyperbole here. That. That pass. The feel. I I I personally don't think he saw him. Talking to Coleman after the game, he says, "I see everything." <laughs> so I, I trust him that he kind of, that he knew he was there. But I was audibly laughing when that pass got through because that is just such a remarkable pass in the moment to to know and have the feel that he's there. And we'll t- we'll show it on the film, and I'll be probably falling out of my chair watching it again because it's just it's it's incredible. And I thought I thought. I thought he got a little carried away at times with yeah. some of the shot selection. He knows that. But ultimately, man, I, you look at what he brings. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Like, he is he, he's a big part of what makes this thing go. And, and you can see that these teams kind of don't know what to do with him. They don't know what to do with him offensively, defensively. It's, it's okay, we got to switch onto the big. Is this really an advantage? Like, it's... It's been crazy seeing his his maturation. I think a lot of it's been just him having a little bit more freedom in a system that fits him a little bit more, uh, and he's taking it and running with it, man. All right, Mike. 11 a.m. Saturday morning tip-off against a Penn State team and a Penn State program under its last couple coaches. That's feisty. It's a yeah. feisty team. Uh, they, they weren't able to win their last game, but um, what, do you, what do you make of this matchup, especially coming off such a huge victory for this team, but Illinois is 0-1 in Big Ten play, and, and you got to protect home court uh, in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's going to be a different game, that's for sure. We know with, with Penn State, and it feels like no matter what coach they bring in there, it's it's just a, you know, it's a rock fight most times. You know, those games always end up being in the 50s, and I, I'll be really interested to see how they play this Illinois team, because Penn State plays a lot of, uh, a lot of five out two they don't they don't have a traditional big in there a lot and you know miles dread comes off the bench they'll put miles dread at the five so it's there's it's gonna it should be a, a pretty good matchup um now that said i think that this illinois team is not a good matchup for a lot of teams right uh and the i think the other thing too is i mean penn state they're they're really playing this pack line d they're i think they're one of the like bottom 10 in the country enforcing turnovers they just don't force turnovers, so I think that helps. That helps an Illinois team. They get they get absolutely nothing back on the offensive glass. Uh, I think they're they're eighteen percent 
getting it back on the glass. Last is, in the country, they're 356th. Like, that's it's, almost it's pretty, yeah, pretty far down there. There's a lot of metrics in here that kind of make it scratch your head a little bit, but they're tough. You know, that's what you know they're going to do. They're going to be tough, and uh, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country, and I think that's what's kept them in a lot of these games. Uh, you know, they obviously lose to Michigan State. Uh, they lose uh, to Clemson. Uh, they, they played Vatek pretty close. Vatek's going to be a top 25 team next week. Um, but look, you just got to stick to what you do. That's the beauty of what Illinois does. Like, you have to adjust to Illinois. Illinois doesn't really have to adjust to you. Yeah. Like, that's 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 kind of the, the name of the game here. And I think the, the teams that possess that, that, the ability to not have to completely overhaul their game plan every single game to try to squeak out a win – uh, you can create some more uniformity. You can create some more cohesion there. But I, I'm really interested. This team absolutely chucks threes. So we know you let them make 13 or 14 threes. Like, it's a game. It's a game. And I think the switching will bother them. But understanding this is why it becomes important, right? right? When Dane Dane is in the game, like communicating that. We're not switching it when, when Dane's man sets a, a screen. So I, I'll be interested to see how much he plays too because I think you can see the advantage on the offensive end. And then you saw, too, like Dane struggled a little bit popping out on Brock Cunningham to contest those threes, and that's going to be Miles Dredd uh, for Penn State. So it's a fascinating matchup. It's one that, you know, I think I think Illinois should win. Obviously, you protect home court, uh, and you want to you at least split these first two Big Ten games. You don't want to fall to 0-2. All right, Mike, we got about a month sample size here. Uh, who are you buying stock in the Big Ten right now? It's interesting. I mean, Illinois for sure. I mean, like at this at this point, it's. I know we we talk about Illinois, but I don't know how you couldn't be, be buying stock in Illinois. I, I, they lost a heartbreaker last night, but I do really like Rutgers. Um, I think I, I think Rutgers is great. I mean, they got absolutely screwed last night. Um, I mean, Tanner Holden's four feet out of bounds, steps in, makes the three. Uh, yeah, I, I think Rutgers is one of those one of those teams that can be around. I, I truly believe they can be a, a team in that top four, top five. Michigan is interesting. Um, they need to play Hunter like 37 minutes a game because when he's off the floor, it is ugly. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how Jet Howard continues to progress and Llewellyn's out for the season, obviously. So what do you get from McDaniel and Bufkin and, and these other guards? But um, it, it seems like every single year you're like, oh, down year in the Big Ten. And then it's like, man, is Wisconsin just going to hang around here and be – like a top four team again. And and then the other teams that I'll mention too, Purdue, we talked about it, right? And Purdue could very well on December 22nd be the number one team in the country because Houston plays Virginia. They should not lose one of these games uh, yeah. for the rest of the, the, the calendar year here. Um, I, I'm not there whatsoever on, on Purdue. I'll buy um, Purdue for the regular season. I still, sure. I still can, like I can buy Purdue as a top 15 team the rest of the season. I'm interested to see how they match up against Illinois, Iowa, teams that spread them out. Um, I just don't, I don't think Gonzaga is great. Uh, Duke no. is is young. It felt like they didn't know how to deal with Edie. These Big Ten teams know how to deal with Edie. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see them in January when they play Rutgers, Ohio State, um, you know, Michigan State. But really, I don't think we're going to learn a lot about them until – late January, early February when they have their toughest stretch of their schedule. But they're a very good team. I mean, I think Matt Painter likes this crew. It seems like they like playing with each other, but it is so E-dependent 
that I'm interested when they play against opponents that have talent and know how to defend Edie. Yeah, the gravity of Edie alone is is enough to to probably get you into the top five of the conference. Yeah. Uh, we'll see where they're at. You know, I'm looking at their schedule right now. Just at, at first glance, you know, you you after playing, I mean, they open up with Minnesota and Nebraska. Um, I mean, Nebraska. I don't know. They, they beat Creighton. I don't know if that says more about Creighton or Nebraska. Um, but just off off first glance here, it looks like they get Maryland twice. Uh, they get Wisconsin twice, uh, or I think they get Wisconsin twice. They may get Wisconsin once, but uh, they get Illinois once. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Illinois has a very favorable Big Ten schedule as well. Uh, it, it's really weird. These early games, these these first two in December, there aren't a ton of great matchups. I, I, don't, I mean, I think maybe Wisconsin plays Iowa next, but for the most part, I don't know. Like, I, I think I mean, Rutgers-Ohio State, okay, maybe, but – you know, Michigan State, Northwestern, and Purdue, Nebraska, Purdue, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, Michigan. Uh, I want to start seeing these heavy hitters face off here. Like, I want to see Indiana, Purdue. I want to see Indiana, Illinois, Purdue, Illinois, um, you know, Iowa, Illinois, these these teams that you know, can really vie for, for a conference title. And we saw last night, ch- chalk another one up. I'm not even sure if I've mentioned the man down theory. Um that, that I have when the when in college basketball when the best player is out it's the first game that they're out that the team always plays above their head and potentially wins the game so when Chris Murray went down for Iowa last night um, or wasn't going to play for Iowa last night I was like well give me Iowa because that's that's a classic man down game so you look across the conference I understand that they lost a, a lot of talent I understand that a lot of talent got drafted but shoot, there were a lot of returners, and I thought a lot of these teams really, really kind of nailed it in the portal. I mean, there's there's a lot of underrated pickups in the portal. If you want to talk about what Ohio State's done, uh, kind of piecing that thing together, and then uh, you know, on, on top of that as well, Rutgers goes out and gets Cam Spencer, right? Who's 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 been tremendous for them too. So um, it, it should be a fascinating race, yeah. right? And, and I, I, let me let me mention this because I had this argument back in like 2015 in a hotel room with I forget who I was arguing with like what's the best conference in college basketball and someone I the argument I was having was you know someone was trying to tell me that the big 12 at that time was the best conference in college basketball and my thought process was if a team wins your conference 14 straight years you're not the best conference in college basketball like does that? I, I don't know. I I'd, I'd love I'd love to get your thoughts on that because is I mean, Kansas Kansas is elite, good? but yeah, like I I get that point. Uh, I love the Big Twelve, the top of it, right? I, I think that yeah. league at the top is is really strong. I think it's probably got three teams you can see being in a Final Four. Are there three teams in the Big Ten I can see being in the Final Four? I'm not sure. I I, I think the highest ceiling teams in the Big Ten, I still think are Illinois and Iowa. I really do. Um, Iowa's got some some depth issues, maybe some front court. Um, you know, I'd, I'd maybe like their their center to be a little bit better, even though Robracha just had his best game in an Iowa uniform. Like Indiana's really good, though. Like Purdue's really good. Like there's just a lot of really good teams. Like you look at the Kempom, how many top fifty teams? We got four outside of the top fifty. Like it's ridiculous depth in the Big Ten, and I do think they beat each other up. I think they've just had some bad luck. 
<laughs> I think they've just had some bad luck. Maybe not had quite the guard play um, to to go to these Final Fours, but you know you can you can pick apart. Like I think the Big Twelve, the Big Ten, uh, and and the SEC certainly got talent at the top. But I, I think it's a Big Ten, Big Twelve. You can make arguments for either of those leagues. Yeah, and, and even you know for for these Big Ten teams in general, I think you're going to see, especially over the next five years, the narrative has always been. You know what? They haven't won a national championship since Michigan State, yeah. um, uh, and then the the tournament success just hasn't been there over the years. I think, honest, honestly, I think the portal is going to change that over the over the next five years. You're going to see. I think you're going to see a lot more Big Ten success because, quite frankly, I don't know if it, it may just be me sitting here. Like I'm seeing players that are in the Big Ten that I would have never guessed would be in the Big Ten, and Terrence Shannon's one of them. You know, Matthew Meyer is one of them. Like, you're getting these guys from the Big 12 and from these other conferences. Um, and NIL, I think, is going to change that as well. I mean, we, we've seen that even in football yep. a little bit. Like, this this is going to shift a little bit, and I actually think it can shift in, in the Big Ten's favor. All right, Mike. Uh, great stuff as always, man. Uh, we got another couple games here, and uh, I know it slows down in December. What's December like for, for a player? Because you actually get a little practice time. I'm sure Brad Underwood loves this. Yeah, December's weird because you know once winter break hits, you, you're just walking, you're driving around campus. No one's there. You know, you go to practice and you're you're basically in the NBA at that point. I mean, you're you're in the facility. Coaches, or at least Coach Gross, wanted to keep us in the facility for for a long time, and we did two days. I'm sure they'll do some two days. Uh, just keeping guys around each other and. Uh, look, the, the holiday break is always a good pivot point because you're you're heading into Big Ten play, and uh, and then also too you got you're probably seeing family, right? You you want to you want to keep guys around. You don't want to let family get into or friends get into too many guys' ears, or you should be doing this, or man, they're screwing you, or this and that. So it's it's that it, it's a really good inflection point because it's a, it's a time where if you if you treat the the time, you know, and value that time. Uh, you can really kind of hit another gear, and I think they've they've shown that over the years. I mean, they came out of the gates, you know, blistering after you know last year. Well, this right? is, this is um, the this is the best start to a season Brad Underwood's had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about how bad Thanksgiving was last year with that with the loss to to Cincinnati, and I know they they ended up beating Kansas State, right? And you know, but even even that was like, eh, it was Kansas State. 20, so, 2021, great season. You started five and three. You lost yeah. to, to Rutgers, Missouri, and Baylor. Yeah, and you could and you could argue that this was a harder schedule. <laughs> you could make that argument. I mean, like maybe it's maybe it's apples to apples, but you could you could certainly make that argument. But yeah, this is look. I, I remember my freshman year. I always talk about like I was the only freshman on the team, so like I was just kind of like a deer in the headlights. Like, uh, tell me when stuff is, I'll be there, and I'm just trying to hitch rides from guys and. I remember I was walking. We were playing. It was a bragging rights game. So we were about to go to the practice facility. <laughs> this is crazy. We were about to go to the practice facility, and I don't have a ride. Like, for for whatever reason, like, I just didn't have a ride there, and I wanted to get there early. And uh, it, was, it was like a snowstorm. And if you remember in 2012, it was like the end of the Mayan calendar. <laughs> like, it was like the world was supposed to end. And I'm walking. I'm pulling luggage from the six-pack to oven and this like blizzard starts and i'm like walking in this blizzard there's no one on campus i feel like i'm like the only person on earth and i'm like 
is this really happening? Like, is this, <laughs> is this really happening? And then our bus breaks down on the way to the bragging rights game. And, and gross had like this, now nah, I'm like getting off a tangent, but like oh, yeah. gross had this whole like thing. We're like, we're road warriors. We're, we go on the road. We're road warriors. Our bus breaks down on the way to the bragging rights game. And this like kind of triple a type company comes to get us. What were they called? The road warriors. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then we go down there and, and we end up, uh, had getting our first loss of the season. We were 12 and Oh, Phil Pressey had like whatever, you know, it was one for yeah. three for 19 and had 16 assists or something crazy. But, uh, yeah, wanted to mention that story because always <laughs> winter break always tends to remind me of that. Gross was gross was loving that too. Yeah. He was like, well, he had, he, he had his ladders. Yeah. He, he had his sayings, man. Had his wristbands, all those things. He was the, that man was the king of acronyms. He loved it. He was the king of acronyms, man. No question. Michael Tupp, you're the goods, man. Appreciate the time. All right, man. Great stuff from Michael too. A little bit longer of a podcast today. Kind of went double action there with the, the football chatter and uh, then some hoops talk. But uh, been busy, been busy this week, and just want to take care of you guys with the, with the podcast. So, got a lot going on. Of course, we'll be at the Illinois Penn State game coming up on Saturday morning. We'll have our live podcast after that. Join us on the YouTube page. Uh, hit like subscribe we appreciate when you guys do that on our youtube channel it's been a lot of fun doing those live podcasts on youtube so come join us uh, if you haven't done one of those if you're at home want some illinois basketball talk after these games i will certainly do that and if any breaking news happens uh we'd love to do those on hey quarterback we get quarterback news whenever that is we can do that for uh, the youtube channel as well so hit the alerts uh, you'll know when we go live all those things we appreciate that on our youtube channel we've gotten so much support there uh, and Follow us wherever you get your podcasts as well. Uh, we appreciate you guys. And if you can take like 10 seconds out to you know, hit a review, hit the five stars, that helps us out as well, get some more traction here on this podcast. All right, everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Alana Inquirer podcast. Bye, everybody. We need to talk. The acclaimed Showtime original docuseries Couples Therapy returns with an addictive and revealing new season. Dr. Orna is back in session, helping four new couples grapple with real issues from religion and sex to polyamorous power dynamics. Collider says couples therapy is like nothing else on TV. It's break up or break through on the new season of Couples Therapy. Now streaming with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Visit ParamountPlus.com to try it free.